This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so we're very excited to announce that Amir Tzashem Avinu Malkeinu, number seven, um, on Thursday, it's going to be Thursday, September 20th, at 7 o'clock, doors open at 6.30, Mr. Hashem, once again, in Brooklyn College, we've been sold out, for Hashem, for seven years, 2,600 women, um, this year, Mr. Hashem, the three speakers will be Mr. Charlie Harari, Rabbi Eli Mansour, and myself, Mr. Hashem, so you're all invited, it's a very, a great sezach, as they say in Yiddish, and um, don't wait to be left out, that there's no tickets left, we have really been sold out every single year. Um, does it come out before it comes out? Ah, so it, it comes out this year in uh, in the Thursday May Chuva on Thursday. All right, so we're very excited. Of course, we expect everyone who's watching tonight to fly into New York and come to the um, Avina Malkano event. What? My ticket's early. Yes, I said that. Okay, so it's brought down that the month of uh, of which. We're on the other side of the 15th day of Av. So that the word Av stands for Elul Bah. Elul is coming. So that we prepare in the month of Av for Elul. So the question is, how do we prepare in the month of Av for Elul? You have Tisha B'Av, you have the nine days, you have Tuba Av, which does prepare us very much, because Tuba Av, which passed last week Friday, is a big yantif. It says there was never a yantif like Tuba Av. And what was especially about Tuba Av? What happened on Tuba Av, two things happened. One is that the Jews that were dying in the desert stopped dying on, actually on Tisha B'Av. But there were, the Jews were not sure if it really had stopped until Tuba Av. Because on the 15th day of the month, from the month when the, when the moon is full, when they saw that the moon was full, they realized that it's way past Tishabov, and therefore they were very happy to know that the dying of, in the Midbar had stopped. So that's one of the reasons it's a Yantif. But it's brought down that the reason it was the biggest Yantif to Hashem was on Tuba Av with a special day for Shiduchim. And all the girls used to come out, and the boys would come out, and they would tell the boys, it's not important that she's beautiful, it's not important, the most important thing is not what family she comes from, but that she is a from good girl. Don't worry about what she looks like. But there was a problem, because the rich girls had beautiful clothing. And the poor girls had very plain clothing. And if they're all out there and the boys are coming out to see their shidduch, they're all going to want to go out with the girl in the beautiful dress, knowing that she's from a rich family. So the girls on their own, with their idea, not Moshe Rabbeinu, nobody's idea, they went ahead... And the rich girls gave their clothing, their rich clothing, to the poor girls. And took the poor girls' clothing. So the guys didn't know, by the way they were dressed, who was from a rich family and who was from a poor family. Because they heard that everybody switched clothing. So they didn't know who was rich and who was poor. And this the rich girls did on their own so that the poor girls should not be left out. So Kodesh Baruch Hu, God said... But that makes him happier. That day is a happier day than any other day. Happier than when we left Mitzrayim. Happier than when we were Kabul Torah. Because his daughters were so thoughtful about somebody else's feelings that they were willing to do this on their own. I wonder what would happen if we tried that today. I don't know. I'm not saying what would happen, but I don't know if it would happen. Um, there's a lot of competition in Shidduchim today. But over there we saw that there wasn't competition. That... They, they were ki'ish they were like one person. And that, it was a very, very big yantiv, and it is a very big yantiv every year, to Ba'av. So that is a lesson, Elul Ba'av, because Elul, the word Elul stands for two things. Ani l'daydi u'l'daydi li. I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. It also stands for ish l'reyehu, fumatanas l'evyonim, a man to his friend, and matanas l'evyonim, of course we all know when that, where that comes from, it comes from Megillah's Esther. On Purim. So what does Elul have to do with Purim? And the answer is that there's two parts before we go on Rosh Hashanah in front of Hashem. There's two parts that we have to perfect ourselves. Between us and God. And between us and another person. Those are the two things that we need to work on. And the way we treat another person 
is the way Hashem treats us. So if you if you judge another person favorably, and or you don't judge a person, it says Al Komo. Don't judge your friend until you're in his place. And in physics, we learn that no two objects can occupy the same space. So what is the Mishnah telling me here that I shouldn't judge my friend until I'm in his space? I can't be in his space. Because no two objects can occupy the same space. So what the mission is telling us straight up is don't ever judge another person. Because you can never be in his space. You don't have his ingredients. Because every person is made out of their, their life, what happened in their life. All the different pieces of what you become are the ingredients in the cake. Whether it's trauma or happiness or whatever you go through becomes part of you. It's an ingredient in the cake. So, even if you see someone doing something blatant, wrong, you judge them, you don't know what's going on. And even if you think you know what's going on, it's your sister. I know what's going on, you don't. Especially because many times we don't tell people what's going on in our lives. So there's a story that happened to me yesterday. No, yesterday was Tuesday, Monday. So I'll tell you something that happened to me Monday. And, and the truth is that I personally I've been working very hard one of the biggest challenges of growing of growing and changing is that when you grow spiritually you begin to judge other people the Yitzhahara of a tzaddik the Yitzhahara of somebody who's growing is that he becomes extremely cold and critical of other people who did not change like you did thank you very much now we got three. Thank you. I got my camels covered. So, don't worry, I'll drink all three. Thank you. So listen carefully. I myself have gone to my Rebbe many times because as I stopped watching movies, as I stopped listening to Goyesha music, as I worked very hard on my Shmir Senayim, I began to judge all my friends who didn't. Like, why can't you... Stop. I did it. Why can't you? Or I don't talk by davening. So when I see someone talk by davening, I get crazy. Because many years ago, I stopped talking by davening. So when you grow, the age Sahara, you, you become not such a nice person anymore. You can be a really nice person, and you become more religious, but you become much less a nice person. All of a sudden, everybody's like, not as firm as you. Everybody, they can't... We, they have no self, I was able to change, my friends are not able to change. And you become a miserable, critical person. And if you don't believe me, meet someone who stopped smoking. Guy's smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. And somehow, he was able to stop. What's the first thing he does? He starts judging all the smokers. I understand. You stink. Don't smoke in my car. Hello? A week ago, you were smoking in everybody's car. But the minute he changed, same thing, you go on a diet. You lose a lot of weight. It bothers you. Like, you're out of control. Why are you eating cake? Hello, you were eating the whole cake last time we went out. But now, all of a sudden, I don't understand. It's not healthy for you. You become a doctor. You become a nutritionist. You become a dietitian. All because you lost 10 pounds. That's what happens when you grow. You start to judge everybody else. So I went to my Rebbe Rabbi Gamaliel and I told him, I'm having a very big problem. I became a miserable guy. I used to always see the good in everybody. I used to be, don't worry, so he's doing that wrong. That was my, the staple of who I was many years ago. But as I gave up all this stuff, I don't see the good in everybody. I see the bad. Like, what's wrong with you? Grow up! Ah, you, would, you, you just got out of it. That's, that's, that's becomes our Yetzirah. So I have been really working very hard on myself not to be critical of other people. And, and it's very hard sometimes. It's really very hard sometimes. I stopped gambling 17 years ago. There are guys my age that in the summer specifically, they go to Atlantic City. And they go to Las Vegas. And a whole group of guys this summer I heard, a whole group of guys that I know, went to Las Vegas for three days. And I was like, these are from people? They have children in yeshiva? You should throw all the kids out. Bunch of guys going to Las Vegas. And I was like, really upset. And I, I don't have anything to do with them anymore. And I said, so hold on. 
17 years ago, every summer, you went to Las Vegas. So they're not where you are right now. What are you getting so critical on them for? And the answer is, I beat it. So that means everybody has to beat it. Just because you beat it doesn't mean that everyone else can. So it's a, it's a, it's a big struggle when you grow. It's a big struggle. I just want to tell you a story that happened this Monday in my office. So I'm working on this. I'm working. My first reaction is to criticize and to judge. Then I go into my working mode, and I try to backtrack. First, they're all schkatzen, low lives. How could they do this? And then I'm like, uh-oh, I'm doing this again. And then I work on myself. They're like, no, they're not so bad. But the first reaction is, like, I don't understand what's wrong with them. They, they have kids. They have kids in Shidduch. What, what are you seeing at a table gambling with women that aren't dressed? Bunch of guys in Vegas, you know? That's the first reaction. Second reaction is, calm down. You used to do this. You used to go into casinos. Like, calm down. How would you have liked if somebody else would have judged you when you were there? But it's the second reaction. It's, it's, I'm not there yet with the first reaction is, okay, if that's what they're doing, they'll be fine. They'll change. Maybe I'll talk to them. I don't have that reaction yet, but I'm working on it. So I want you to listen to a story that happened while I'm working on this midah. So I get a I get a phone call two weeks ago from uh, parents. They're watching. You have to help us. <coughs> What's going on? My daughter is 19 years old. Behind our back, for the last year, she's been going out with a boy. He is 18 years old. Okay. So, so this is the mother says to me. I'm very upset. I happen to know the boy. He happens to be a very nice boy. So I have nothing against the boy. Whatever, Wallstein. It's a year they're going out behind my back. Could you imagine what they've done with each other? There's no way that she could be shaming a gear for a year with a boy behind my back. You have to do something. So I'm very into, when I work with kids, that I must meet the kids. Because a parent's perception is their reality. Parents have told me things, and then I've met the kids, and I'm like, totally different story. So anyone that, your husband and wife, shall bias, I will never listen to a wife alone. Because that's her perception of her marriage. I need, to hear, I need to hear his side, and I need to hear her side, and I can't hear some friend's side who's... That's her perception, that's her perception, that's his perception. Bezdin is not allowed to pass in halacha unless both sides are there. You can't just pass in halacha by one side. So I told this parent, stop, climb out. There's no reason for me to talk to you. You're not the problem, you're married. Sherman Nagir is not the problem here. So there's no reason for me to talk to you. I have to talk to your kids. I have to meet your daughter, and I have to meet this boy. And she's like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get my daughter and him to come to you? I'm like, just tell them, I want to see them. So, of course, their first reaction is no, because they're thinking, Rabbi, he's going to break us up. They don't want to break up. But she happens to have known me a little bit, and she hears my shirim. So she said, Ma, if that'll make you happy, and, and you'll accept him if I go to Rabbi Wallerstein, I'll go. So she comes into my office with the boy. Pretty girl, 19 years old, from household, went to yeshiva. And this boy looks like a very nice guy quiet we sit down at the table in my conference room I'm like Shalom Aleichem what's your name how old are you I'm 19 how old are you I'm 18 okay so she says why does my mother want me, me to meet you I'm like well you know I'll tell you the truth you guys are going out for a year you're a girl he's a guy nobody knew about this you're definitely not going in public places your mother's very worried about Shemini Gia so she says to me, looking me right in the eye, he has never touched me, and I have never touched him. And I looked her right in the eye and said, liar. <laughs> I said, if that's true, then one of you is not healthy. Because if you take a healthy girl and a healthy boy, and they're seeing each other for a year, that's the way Hashem created us. So she looks me in the eye, and she says... I am telling you, I did not ever touch him, and he never touched me. I am totally Shomer Nagia. So then I looked at him, I said, okay, she's Shomer Nagia. How about you?
So he says, with a very low voice, not making eye contact, it's true. Okay. So I'm doing this for a long time. I'm like, all right, something's wrong here. Something's wrong in this picture. She doesn't look like a liar. She's very strong at what she's saying. But many girls and boys have told me this, and I, I know that it's not true, right? So I said, let me tell you something. 99 out of 100, a girl and a boy going out behind their parents' back for a year, I bet the house, back to my gambling days, I bet the house that they're not Shemini Gia. I said, do you know what Shemini Gia means? What do you consider Shemini Gia? I'm trying to figure this out because this doesn't make any sense. Okay, she's swearing. There's nothing to talk about. And she's beginning to get a little angry at me. Like, nobody believes me. My mother doesn't believe me. And you don't believe me. And that's why I didn't want to come here. Because I know that no one's going to believe me. And deep in my heart, I'm saying, darling, no way do I believe you. I don't care if you swear on a safe return. I don't believe you. You're not going out with a boy for a year with no one knowing and being shamanical. I said, holding hands, is that shamanical? Yes. Having an arm wrestle, is that shamanical? Yes. So she's clearly saying, not touching each other at all. So I start. I'm like, okay, so why aren't the two of you married? What, do you love him? Yes. Do you love her? Yes. Are you committed to get married? Yes. Do you have a future plan? Yes, he's going, I don't want, I don't want anyone to know who it is, so he's going into something. She's also going into something. They got the whole plan. So I'm thinking to my head, I know why they're not getting married. Money. They're young kids. They're going to school. It's money. I said, let me ask the two of you a question. If I were to get you the money to talk your parents into, because the parents want them to get married, stop this baloney of going out without getting married. If I would get you the money for the next two, three years that you should be supported while you're going to school, would you get married then? And I was sure that that's what they're looking for. And she says, no. And I said, why not? And she says, we're not ready. And I said, but you said you are ready. You said you love each other, you're committed, you're going to get married. So what do you mean you're not ready? She said, we're not ready. I said, what does that mean? She said, Red Walston, when we're ready, then we'll get engaged. No, this is what she said. She said, when we need to be Sherman Nagia, that's when we're going to get engaged. What she is talking about. It's not adding up in my head. What is she talking about? When you need to be sharing a gear, that's when you're going to get engaged? That doesn't make any sense. Get married. Like, what are you talking about? I don't chap yet. Which I don't know what's going on. And in my head the whole time I'm thinking, this girl is so full of baloney. Right? She's trying to pull the wool on my I'm doing this too long. And there's all this stuff is like, it's just, it's just not adding up. So then I turned to him. So they love each other. They know they want to get married to each other. They're very committed. These are serious kids. These are not fluff kids. They're very serious kids, both of them. She's 19. She can get married. He's 18 and a half. He can get married. So I'm not hopping. Why aren't they getting married? I'll have you supported. You love each other. You're committed to each other. So I'm thinking that they have commitment phobia. But they're committed to each other. So you know my story when I made the guy sign the paper, whatever it is. So I said... She heard that share. She said, the only share I ever heard from you was your Shermany Gia share. But that's not strong enough to keep a boy and girl going behind their parents' back, Shermany Gia. Even I don't think I'm that good. So I'm like, I don't have what's going on over here. So I say to him, I know why you don't want to get married. Do you have older brothers or sisters? And he says to me, I have two older brothers. I'm like, ah, you're waiting till they get married you don't want to get married before them and he looks at me for the first time and he says my brothers will never get married and then the whole thing made sense so I knew that I was talking to a kid who was sexually abused the minute he told me his brothers would never get married I understood that all of them were sexually abused now I hop what she was saying 
Chutz Hashem and I called her, and I was so apologetic because I was so impossible. Now that I knew what happened, I kept telling her, "I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Why don't you guys get married? You're both you're you're not into this. Why am I wasting my time with you?" I was I was trying to push them together. Meanwhile, this boy had such trauma that he would never let anybody touch him, and he would never touch another person. And he's heavy, heavy, heavy into therapy right now to get to the point that he could even be intimate with somebody. So what she kept telling me was that when the time comes that he gets healthy and there's an attraction physically, that he could have such an attraction, then we'll get engaged because then we need to be shaman again. And here's Wallstein who's working on not judging, being the most judgmental person where there's a girl who is such a malach I'm not saying it's right to go out behind your back. It's not my point, behind your parents' back. It's not what I'm talking about right now. But she's such a malach that she fell in love with a boy who went through such trauma that he cannot be intimate, he cannot touch anybody, and nobody can touch him. And she's willing to wait till he has enough therapy, till he gets healthy enough that he could be in a physical relationship. And she's sitting there, this Tadekista. And Wallerstein saying, you're a liar. You're not Shomini Gia. There's no way, 99 out of 100. And I'm ripping her to pieces. And this boy's sitting through the whole thing. And he's not saying one word. And I said, why did this happen? Because I thought that I was so good at what I do. And I'm so sure I meet so many kids that are not Shomini Gia. And I have it all. And I'm the doctor. And I know that I didn't realize that there could be an element in this relationship that I know nothing about. You can never judge another person because you don't know what they went through or what they're going through. What a true Mishnah. And the more sure of yourself you become, the more you miss the symptoms. I, I didn't speak to the boy. I feel like a dope to sit there and rip these two kids and keep saying so why don't you get married so why don't you get married like what's wrong with you you know you're not you have a commitment phobia you're not and all these negative things that I'm throwing at them trying to get to them meanwhile that's not what's going on not at all not at all so I learned a very big lesson so even I who's 24 years working with kids who think I know what I'm doing totally I was sitting in that room for 40 minutes totally had no clue to what was going on between these two. That's what the mission says. And that's Elul. Elul is also Ben Adam Lechavero. To understand that there are so many ingredients in a person that cause so many different things. You're not God. And therefore, you're human. And you may be missing something. When you judge your friend and you think she did something wrong to you, you judge another person. You don't know what's going on. I'm giving you a story. I don't usually tell these kind of stories. The stuff that I deal with that's very intimate, that's, you know, with, with kids. I don't like to talk about it. But it's important that I talk about it because even I missed it. And I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. And at the same time, I spoke about it for the first time and I need to start speaking about it because I'm going to too many hospitals. And that's abuse. I think that we need to learn, specifically girls, that we need to learn guidelines. And we need, all of you are going to be mothers, we need to learn symptoms of abuse. Rabbi Lamb, who teaches here in Arnava, got up in Or Yitzchak on Tishabov. I almost fell off my chair. And he got up, and he spoke, it was on Torah anytime. And he said, a question that I always had, we read on Tishabov, um, and in the Kinnis that it's going to get so bad that mothers are going to cook their children and eat them. That's what it says on Tishabov in the Kinnis. And I'm always thinking, my mother would never cook me and eat me. It's just, you can't get that far down. You're going to cook your kid and eat them. But my lamb got up. <coughs> on Tishabov in front of the whole yeshiva and said that sexual abuse is worse 
than taking your child and cooking them and eating them. Why? Because when you kill a kid, his pain is over. But in sexual abuse, it continues for life. So therefore, why am I telling you this? As mothers, and as sisters, and as friends, it's a Shia, it's negligence. If we don't watch our kids, and we let workers in the house alone with our little girls, and we don't watch for symptoms when a child's behavior drastically changes. When you have a sweet kid who eats a lot and is healthy and happy and all of a sudden she's not eating, she's not making eye contact, she's totally from a 100 student became a 50 student. Something happened to that child. There is some trauma. When a child wets their bed, you need to check out if there's trauma. Because if you don't, it festers. And the more it festers, the harder it is to fix. And today we're so busy with our cell phones and our technology and our friends that our own children could be very hurt and we don't even see it because we're busy looking at everything else. Am I saying it's rampant, it's two out of four, am I giving a number? I'm not giving a number. It's not what I'm here for. But it exists. And the world is a very immoral world. And the movies are very immoral and the Facebook is very immoral. And I cannot say it enough times, 10 girls just got kicked out of yeshiva because of Facebook. Because they had a picture, a private picture that the 10 girls took. And someone got a hold of that picture and put it on Facebook. And every boy that's on Facebook can see this picture of these 10 girls. And it ain't a pretty picture. And it's definitely not a sneeze-stick a picture. And it got to the school that the girls are in and they threw 10 of them out. And I'll keep talking about Facebook and people are just going to keep going back on because it's not going to happen to me. Well, it is going to happen to you. And your friend that has your pictures that you took is going to one day post it. And then when the boys are looking for Shaduchim, they're going to Google it. They're going to find it. And they're going to have a picture of this girl in her pajamas or less. And they're all going to laugh. And they're going to say, she has Facebook? There's a picture on it? I don't want to go out with her. I she did chuva, she went to seminary, she's not taking pictures with boys anymore. It's forever. Whatever picture you post, if it, if I'm your friend and I have it, it's forever. It is so silly. We are so private. What are we doing? Ten last week. All the guys are talking about it. Everybody has the picture. They asked me if I want to see it. I'm like, are you crazy? No, Rebbe, you gotta see this picture. I'm like, are you crazy? I don't want to see no picture. All the guys are laughing. They, the face of the girls that are there, they know exactly which girls they are. Their life is over. Over. O-V-E-R. Over. They're kicked out of school, and every boy has their picture. And it's really not a sneeze a picture. What did they do wrong? What did they do wrong? First of all, they shouldn't have taken the picture. But girls do that. But Facebook? Facebook this is the world that we live in today and I'm going to keep talking about it because it's ruining and of course what's going to happen with these 10 girls they're going to end up on the street because now their families are embarrassed all the boys saw the picture the school threw them out so now what's going to happen to them where are they going to end up in drugs they're going to end up in depression their lives are over over every one of them everybody knows their name because their faces are in the picture you're private Hashem created you private it's, it's, it's what you have more than the animal in the zoo. You, you're a human. You, you have privacy. That's what's special about us. That's why we wear clothing. To be private. We have our, we, each one of us has our own fingerprint. What are we doing? Putting our fingerprint out to the world to use? I'll keep talking about it. I know everyone calls me the Facebook Rebbe. But you know what? If one girl gets off it and it saves her shit up, and it saves her life, that her kids one day won't see a picture that she posted 20 years ago. If I save one girl, it's definitely worth it. So that's Anila Daidila Daidili. And Ishtariyeyo. What is Lamaisa Anila Daidila Daidili? It sounds very romantic. I am to my loved one, my loved one is to me. Rosh Hashanah is a pretty heavy day. Yom Kippur is a pretty heavy day. Elo, we're preparing 
for these Yoimim Hadin. Why should, it should say, um, I'm sorry to Hashem, and Hashem accepted my tshuva. What does I love you and you love me have to do with Elul? So I think it's very important to know where this Pasuk comes from. It wasn't a poem written by Shakespeare. It's from Shira Shiram. So I'd like to read you the Perek that it's found in. It's actually in Perek Vav, Pasuk Gimel, in Shir Hashirim. That's where it's written. So the Perek begins like this. Ani Yishena, I am sleeping. The Libi air, but my heart is awake. Kol doidi doifek, the voice of my loved one is knocking. And what is my loved one, we're talking about Hashem here, saying to me? Pischuli, open up for me. Achosi, my sister. Rayasi, my friend. Yainasi, my dove. Tamasi. Very nice names Hashem calls us, right? My perfection comes from the word Tamim. Right? That's pretty nice that God thinks of us in that way. All of us in this room that think God's this mean guy who likes to barbecue us after we die in Gehenna and he gave us all these rules, sneers, Hara. Come on, leave me alone. I can't talk. I can't listen. I can't look at anything. It's like demeaning. It's like it's, it's controlling. So this God that we think is such a meanie, he is talking to us, says Shir Hashirim. And he's calling us his sister, his loved one, his dove, his perfection. And he wants to talk to us. And he wants to be with us. So what do we answer him, says Shir Hashirim? Sorry, Pashatati Eskutanti. I took off my clothing. How am I going to put it back on? I can't talk to you. I'm in bed in my pajamas. I'm not getting dressed just to talk to you, Hashem. Now, this is very Kabbalistic. What does that mean? Who's not dressed? What do you mean I can't get dressed? What's going on over here? So it's explained. What was Shlomo HaMelech saying? God is spiritual. We're born with a soul, neshama. Everybody has a neshama. How do you know? Because you have emotions. Emotions is in the neshama world. You can't see it. You can't touch it. It's the other dimension. It's the world that you don't see. And if you deny that, that means you have no emotions. Everybody has emotions. They feel pain. They feel happiness. They feel love. They feel hate. So that world is the world of the neshama. It's not a physical world. I can't take an MRI and see how much you love someone. You can't measure it because it's not in this dimension. The clothing that each one of us wears is our ruchnius, is our spirituality. That's in Kabbalah, it's called your clothing. When you come to the next world, if you did mitzvahs and you did good things, you're wearing beautiful clothing. And you could, there's many stories where they, you could see the tzaddik and by what he's wearing, you understood on what level that he, what he was. So our clothing in the Lushan of Shir Hashirim, Shlomo Melech, our clothing is our spiritual light that we have. So God comes to the door and he wants to be with us. And we answer him, I, I gave that up already, Hashem. I got undressed. My spirituality, I left in fourth grade when God was everywhere. So I, I left, I took it off. I don't have it anymore. I'm busy with my movies, my DVDs, Batman, Schmatman, and all the other movies that I watch, and my love movies, and all the fake, that fourth dimension, that fake world that doesn't exist, where the actress dies, and then the next movie she's alive again. Right? Where they're married, and the next movie they're... They're, they're not even, they're not together anymore because it's just actors and actresses. In fact, it says on the credits, actor, actress. So they're telling you, you just spent $10 like the biggest fool in the world. Because guess what? This is an actor and an actress. It's not real. You're watching that after you paid. They never put the credits on before you pay. After you paid, you watch the movie, right? I was telling the guys last night, I was saying like, when I used to go to the movies, so after the end of the movie, anyone who goes to movies knows this, you stand there, you don't leave. You don't leave, you watch the credits. And then the smart people who make the movies, after the credits, they have like one or two funny scenes from bloopers of the movie. 
So everybody stays in the movie theater, watches all the stupid tech one, tech two, tech three, cameraman, sound man, like you care, right? But you're thinking at the end, instead of saying the end, there's going to be some bloopers, two or three bloopers in there. So everybody's standing, but they didn't leave. So I told the guys yesterday, I'm like, boys, how come in shul in the morning when we go to Dab and nobody watches the credits? How come no one... I said, I've never been in a minion in my life where the same amount of people were there at the beginning that are there at the end. You start with 100. By the time he says Kaddish at the end, there's 80. If you're lucky, 60. Never more. Always less. How come at the end of davening, we don't spend another five minutes checking out the credits? And maybe there'll be two or three like last scenes. Like a, I could say a perks to Hillam. I could finish the whole davening. I could say, Shia Malzman Mamakin. Everyone's gone. Goodbye. Way before the end of davening. Why? Because you took that clothing off already. You're not wearing the clothing of emotions, of, of, of Yiddishkeit, of spirituality. You took that off a long time ago. For the movies, that clothing you are wearing. You'll sit there till the end of the credits. And you'll sit there in the previews before the movie. 20 minutes of showing you what's going to be. But they don't show you the whole thing. But everyone's there. You have to be on time. God forbid you're late. Nobody's late. Everyone's late to davening. Every, nobody stays later. So we're telling Hashem, like he told Hashem, I got undressed. I can't do it again. I can't be who I was when I was eight years old when Hashem is here. Hashem is everywhere. Yay! Alabay, Game of God. Hey, Hashem created the world so I could play. Yay! Right? All that excitement. And that love of being a Jew, you got undressed. Sixth grade took off a little bit. Seventh grade took off a little more spirituality. Eighth grade a little bit more. Ninth grade started really coming off. Tenth and eleventh grade, it was gone. Gone. So Hashem's knocking on the door, and we're saying, hey, it's just too hard to go back there. It's too hard to start giving up my movies, giving up my Gaisha music, giving up all this. I can't. I, I, I dressed myself in that non-Jewish music. I dressed myself in those DVDs. I dressed myself in my magazines. I dressed myself on all the things that aren't spiritual. Now you expect me? I'm in my pajamas. You expect me to get dressed? So he doesn't get up. Says Shira Shem. It's too hard. So we say to the person knocking on the door, whoever you are, I'm not changing. And he goes on. I already washed my feet. You expect me to get off the bed and get my feet dirty? I already washed my feet. I'm in a different world, Hashem. You want me to come back into your world of rules? How I have to get dressed? And I have to keep Shabbos? And all these rules that you have? My feet are washed already. I washed this whole thing away. That's what we answer. I can't change. So the story continues. Okay? What happens? The further you go away from spirituality, the further you go away from Hashem, the more emptiness, the more void the person feels. I was in Boston today. The reason I was in Boston today was I went to a psych hospital, probably... The best one in the United States of America is in Boston. They charge $45,000 a month. Only private payers. They don't take insurance. What was I doing there? I was called down by the administration of, I'm not going to tell you the name of the hospital, but it's the most famous psych hospital maybe in the world. So what do you want from Robert Wallstein? They have a girl there for a very long time, a Jewish religious girl, and they can't change her. And they have other Jewish girls there. And they've come to the realization that as much psychology as they do with the Jewish girls that work on the non-Jewish girls, the Jewish girls have a void. There's a void in them of something that the psychological world cannot give them. So they were wondering, as a rabbi, if I could instruct the therapist, the top two therapists in this organization sat with me in the room today. 
and wanted to see how we could fill the void in a girl who's getting crazy amount of therapy but feels like there's still something missing these they happen to be Jews but they're not religious they're married to non-Jews so they, they don't know anything about Judaism they just happen to be Jews so I sat there for two hours and I told them the story of Dina what Dina went through and that the Torah explicitly tells the whole story and at the end Ephraim and Menashe came from her and at the end Yosef's wife came from her and I sat there and I talked about what it means to be an Orthodox Jew and the, I think more than helping her I got these two maybe going to come from they were they never went to Yeshiva they never learned anything they were in absolute amazement of what our Torah is really about besides it was a very very successful but what I found is that you have these two irreligious Jews married to non-Jews no connection no Yom Kippur nothing therapists the best and they cooled me down there because they realized that a Jewish person has such a high level of spirituality that if you don't fix the spirituality, no matter how much therapy you give, you cannot fix the person. And I said to them at the end, I wish that the Jewish people who are religious would know this. Would know that there's a void in each one of us that cannot be filled by drugs or non-Jewish music or DVDs or God forbid hurting yourself you can't run away from it because it's you it's part of all of us and the more we try to fix it by listen I watch movies because it makes me happy because it takes me out of this world the bigger the void gets and that's why Jewish people are looking all the time they're looking that's why we shake when we daven because the neshama is moving in your body priests and Christians pray with their hands behind their back not moving at all Jews you can't keep them down they're going they're moving they're going to tzedakah box they're going here and the guys are shaking what are you shaking? well human beings not supposed to shake why do, why do all Jewish men shake by davening? shake I shake when I speak because your neshama in you is a candle it's called a ner if you ever watch a candle, it never just stands straight, it flickers. A person's neshama also flickers. Your body follows your soul. So if your soul is moving, you're moving. So that's why when we dive in, when we're getting into soul music, into spirituality, we're shaking. Because inside we're shaking. So here you have two doctors, totally disconnected from Tyra, telling me, we brought you down because you guys have a void that only a rabbi, only Torah, people Torah, Right? Can fill. I was like, I wish the two of you would get up and announce it to all of us. Because we're chasing to try to fill that void with boys, with drinking, with drugs, with movies, with f- fiction, with books, whatever we can, because we have this void. And we don't realize that the only way to fill that void is with God, is with Hashem. And that was a mistake that happened here in Shir Hashir. He was laying in his bed. I'm in my pajamas. My feet are washed. I'm going to sleep. I don't care who's knocking on my door. I don't need whoever you are. I'm comfortable. But you can't be comfortable long without Hashem. It doesn't work. So all of a sudden, he gets up and he goes to the door. Somehow, he got dressed. Somehow, he got his feet on the ground. And he runs to the door. Because now, he's depressed. And now, he's missing something. So maybe what I'm missing was just knocking on the door. Too late. He comes to the door, and he puts his hand on the handle, and he smells from the handle the most beautiful smell he ever smelled. And he realizes who is at the door. But it's too late. So now, he searches for Hashem. And he, and he runs around, and it says, I'm looking for him, I want to see you, I can't find him. I'm calling to him, I'm not getting an answer. The non-Jews, the rest of the world, who's surrounding the city, they found me. They hit me, they hurt me. 
So he says, Kishbati Eschem Yushalayim, says Shlomo HaMelech. Swear to me, daughters of Yushalayim, Im Timsu Ezdaidi, if you find my loved one, the one that was knocking on my door for so many years, but I was so, I rang the ton in the schmutz, I was so in the, in the other dimension, in the fourth dimension, I was so busy, my cell phone and my cell phone and my unlimited minutes and my, my, my iPod and my iPad and everything that I have and all these computers and this whole world and my schooling and everything that I'm doing, I was so in it. I could not get out of that bed. Now I'm looking for him. Now I realize that all that stuff not going to make a difference in my life. So now I'm looking for him. So Shlomo Melech says, Swear to me, in Timsu is Daidi, if any of you find my loved one, Matagidala, what should you tell him? What should you tell him? Shekhailas Ahava Ani, that I am sick in love with him. Tell him I missed the boat. He was knocking on my door, he was knocking on my door, and I'm laying in my bed, and he's knocking on my door, and I'm laying in my bed. And I'm telling him I can't change. I took off all that spirituality. That whole Judaism and that, that whole Tzniyas and all this stuff that you're talking about. I don't want any part of it. And Shabbos, I don't want any part. I took it off, Hashem. I'm not interested. But then when you have this huge void in your life and you're searching and you realize, oh my God, you know who's knocking on my door? You know who wanted to be with me? Hashem. Tell him if you find him that I miss him that I'm sick in love with him just tell him that so the question is tell him more tell him I'm sick in love that's not enough tell him I'm sick in love with you come get me forgive me for what I did that so many times you came to me you gave me another chance every Rosh Hashanah every Yom Kippur you gave me another chance so many times and I spit away spit at you Get away from me, all you rabbis, all you, you people. Stay away from me. I don't want any part of this. So tell him you're sorry. And tell him you want him back. That's not what Shlomo HaMelech said here. Shlomo HaMelech was the wisest man in the world. Shlomo HaMelech understood. Girls, you don't have to say that. You don't have to say you're sorry. And you don't have to say, Hashem, please, I miss you, come back. You just have to tell him that I'm sick in love with you and he'll forgive you without saying you're sorry. And he'll come back without you asking him to come back. All Hashem wants to know is that you're in love with him. That's all he wants to know. That's all Akash wants. And guess what? Every parent in this room, that's all we really want to know is that our children love us. And every kid in this world, all they want to know is that their parents really love them. And every wife in this world wants to know that her husband really loves her. The rest of the stuff we can work on. I do a lot of shalom bias. My first question to a couple that it's not working, first question, every one of them, did it ever work? Did the two of you ever love each other? Were you excited about each other? Were there two or three good years before this, before you started falling apart? Were there two or three good weeks? Because then I can fix it and I can take them back to where they were because once upon a time they had something. But if the boy tells me, I never liked her. I only married her because my father forced me to. I'm like, good night. Don't waste your time. I can't help you. Where am I bringing them back to? There's no point of reference. I'm bringing them back to the first day they were married. It's tragedy. Before they were married, they only married because their father and his father made them. I have nowhere to go. I can't fix this. But if they're like, for three years you couldn't pry us apart. We were so close. But then I had my kid and then I had this and I had that. And we started drifting and then he got a new business and we started drifting even more. I'm like, this we can do. 
because we can go back to a reference point where once upon a time it was like this so our job is to get all the trauma and stuff out of the way so we can get back to where you were when you first got married but if there was nothing there I can't help you so when we tell Hashem that that I love you and I, and I miss that first grader singing when I thought that everything's going to be good in life and it was like you were in everything and everything was God today I met a bunch of little kids walking in Bottle Park and I said there's little teeny kids and they were so excited and some of them were pointing up and some of them were saying here and some of them were saying everywhere and it was like the most amazing thing and you know where I met these kids? on 18th Avenue in Bottle Park walking past the park and do you know what goes on in that same park every Shabbos on 18th Avenue there are hundreds of Hasidish kids that are smoking and being Mechal Shabbos and hanging out and doing terrible things with girls same park so what happened to those little kids from today what happened between 6 years old and 19 years old what happened is what happened in Shira Shira I can't come to the door God I took it off I don't want it no more I can't get out of bed I don't want it no more until it's too late until I have to go to Boston because the doctors realize that without it without God a Jewish girl and a Jewish boy cannot be whole and that's not from Shir Shir that's from non-religious therapists and that's why I went today just to hear that line because I've been preaching it for a long time and I don't need to hear it from a therapist but if they get it they get it we surely have to get it so therefore Chodesh Elul as it says in the last in the last in the third passage I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me Haraya Bashashanim who is a who who's a, a shepherd in the roses in the flowers that's a Baruch Hu. and if we have a good Elul girls if we come into Elul and we turn to Hashem and say I don't want anything I want to know I want to feel I want to be connected to you your Rosh Hashanah will be amazing that's the secret the secret of Elul is and everybody in this room including me need to take the next month and tell Hashem you're knocking on my door I can't get dressed that fast I can only change my life piece by piece I can only put my clothing on one thing at a time but wait for me at the door Hashem Hashem is very patient he'll wait but you gotta get off your bed you gotta be off your bed and you gotta start getting dressed spiritually and the Yitzhahara has come up with technology and ways to keep you so busy that there's no connection and then all of a sudden you show up for Shoshanah and you're like I need to have a good year I need to find a shidduch uh, I need to have children I need to have a good year in school I need health and I need wealth and I need this and I need that and you come to the door in Chas Shalom all that's left is the smell of, the, of Hashem who asked you a million times come open the door so don't wait for Rosh Hashanah you got to show up before Rosh Hashanah I say this I'll end with this I say this story every year it's a very very cute story so there's this, this rich man who just got fed up with giving charity new people new people new people new people so he put up a big sign from now on I only give charity to people who were here before who I know no new collectors so of course some new guys try to come and he said sign you can't so this one guy shows up a guy from Israel and he knocks on the door and the guy comes to the door he says I don't know you can't you read the sign the sign says no new beggars I'm not giving you anything what are you doing here can't you read the sign and the guy's like oh 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 um, new beggar oh you're right I'm sorry sorry for bothering you and he leaves and the guy's like this guy crazy walks around the block 15 minutes later rings the bell guy comes back to the door he says can't you read the sign no new beggars he goes I'm not a new beggar 
I was here 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so it's very funny, Dugma Magid, but it's not funny. When you come to HaKadosh Baruch on Rosh Hashanah, so the Malachim, the, our enemies, the prosecutors are like, who's that? Oh, she wants a good life, a healthy year, and all the good things? A whole year she didn't show up? Stranger amongst us! So the din says, don't listen to her. But if we spend Elul the whole time trying to get close to Hashem, trying to get close to Hashem, and we show up on Elul, and we show up Rosh Hashanah, we're not a stranger. The Malachim can't say, oh, she just showed up when she needs something. We're no longer a stranger, and that's why Elul is a preparation for Rosh Hashanah. So I promise that will be the last story. But I just have one... Sh- you got to buy this book, by the way. I'm not advertising for it, but it's out of control. It'll, it'll, it'll totally change your life. It's called Positive Word Power, put out by Art Scroll. And um, the stories in it and the lessons in it are absolutely amazing. I want to read you just one short story. When it comes to Ben Alma Chavero, and we'll end with this. The young mother, out on a shopping trip, noticed a plastic baseball bat that she was sure her four-year-old son would adore. It was just the right size and weight for him and would satisfy his yearning to play ball like his older brothers. She couldn't wait to see the smile on his face when she presented it to him. On arriving home, she called her little boy into the kitchen where she was unpacking her bundles. Shmully, look what mommy bought for you. Your own baseball bat. The little boy grabbed it gleefully and screamed, thanks mommy, as he ran out to the backyard to test it. Only minutes later, Shmuley's three-year-old sister, who had been playing quietly in the sandbox, arrived at the door in tears. Shmuley hit me with the baseball bat, she sobbed. So the mother said to Shmuley, that's what you do with the gift I gave you? The mother scolded her son. Do you think I gave you a bat so you could hurt people with it? End of story. What's the story here to tell us? Unbelievable. Says... That a Kirsch who gave the human being a very special present. What's the difference between us and an animal? An animal is called a chai, a human is called a medaber. We're able to speak, even though Hashem didn't have to give that to us because we can text. But in the old days, we used to speak. So the difference between us and animals used to be that we used to talk. Right? They have now a monkey. They have a little show you can get for your bar mitzvah or your bas mitzvah. They have a monkey that they trained how to text. Serious. They advertise it. Really, I'm not kidding. Come to you and he, could, he texts the people. It's like wild. He can text the people at the party, and they all flip out. It's like it's not even that expensive. It's like it's great, right? So, so that means like, so he's like us. I mean, he can't talk, but he can text, right? So there's not much, not much of a difference between us and monkeys at this point, right? But he gave us a special, really special, because speech you can make someone so happy by saying nice words to them. So he gave us speech, like this mother, what the child a baseball bat to go out and play ball. Hashem gave us speech to make other people. There's a, there was someone that the Gemara says he never ever in his life said Aleichem Shalom. Never in his life did he say Aleichem Shalom because he always was the first one to say Shalom Aleichem. He never waited till someone said Shalom Aleichem to him. He was, the Gemara says he never said Aleichem Shalom in his life because he always made sure before the other person even had a chance he said Shalom Aleichem. The power of the word is, is crazy. So he writes here in the book something amazing. He says, so we're all like that kid. And Hashem is our mommy. And he gave us something special. Speech. Where we could talk to somebody. We could make them feel good. We could say good morning. We could make them smile. Somebody who needs a little bit of attention. We could talk to them. So he gave us the baseball bat. And so many of us... Instead of using the bat to play ball and have fun, we use the bat to hurt others. He gave us this beautiful present, and we use it to talk Lashon Hara. We use it to talk bad about people. We use it to answer back our parents. We use it to say words from our mouth that are not that clean. And our Kurdish Baruch Hu says to us what the mother says to the child. I didn't buy you the baseball bat to hit your sister. I bought you the baseball bat to play baseball. So Hashem says the same thing to us. To be Allah I gave you eyes. I gave you a mouth. I gave you the ability to hear. But the most important present that He gave us is emotion. Is feelings. What a matana. 
to have feelings. And since all of us have feelings, we understand what it means to be hurt, what it means to hurt somebody else's feelings. And therefore, we need to think about our eyes, our mouth, our ears, all the senses that we were given by mommy from the toy store, from Hashem, all these presents. And think about, are we using these presents like little Shmuley was using the baseball bat? Are we abusing it? Are we using it to hurt other people? If we are, then chas v'shalom, the present that Hashem gave us, he may take back. Because if your child, you buy a bat, and he continuously beats other kids with it, mommy's taking away the bat. So we need to be very careful with what we do with the presents that Hashem gave us. That's the preparation. Hashem doesn't say do it in a day. He gave us a whole elul. Hashem is knocking on all our doors. Get out of bed. Even if you have to tell him, wait a minute. I'm getting dressed. Slowly. Hashem, I can't do all this stuff at one time. He'll wait. But if you answer, I can't get out of bed. I can't get dressed. I don't want to get my feet dirty. Okay. Then you don't want me? Then our connection is not going to be the same. That's what we need to work in an L. I need li and ish lechaveiro umatanas levyonim. We have thirty. We have about forty days to Rosh Hashanah. Every single day. Every single day. Think about what little thing. No big things because that won't happen. Little thing that I could change in my life to show Hashem. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting dressed. I took a little spiritual thing, and for ten, the next 10 days, I'm doing that. I'm davening, shachwis, maybe just shmona esrei. I'm taking one thing in shmona esrei, and I'm concentrating on what I say. But one thing I learned today in Boston, you can live with him, but you can't live without him. Everybody agrees that a Jewish person cannot live without a connection to his religion, and to his God and if they know it it's time that we know it and then maybe if we know it and we get out of that bed and we open the door HaKash Baruch is going to scream surprise we're getting married we're getting married we're going to the Beis HaMikdash unbelievable Zayar if you, any of you girls are Kalas or if you ever watch a wedding, I watch this all the time. People think I'm weird. That, that after the boy breaks the glass and they pull her veil up, she's wearing one. So that before she, everyone's and 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 screaming, yelling, jumping, before he kisses his father or she kisses her mother, they always look at each other for one second before everything breaks loose. That look, I have seen that look because I watch it. And there's a reason I watch it. That look is the most amazing look you'll ever see. Because the whole room just exploded. The band's going, everyone's jumping, and for that one second, the two of them are looking at each other, nothing else in the world exists but those two people. It's like they're alone in a room, and there's no one else there. And I always watch that look, because the Zayar says that when Mashiach comes, Klai will walk the hills of Yerushalayim. We're the Kala. Hashem will be standing, whatever that means, on Har Habayas. And the chassan, when the kal is coming, especially by Svartim, they walk all the way down, but even by Ashkenazim, they take a step towards the kal. And Hashem will take a step towards all of us. We're going to be marching. All of us. We're the kal. And all the goyim, you know, when, when the kal walks in, everybody stands up? The whole world is going to stand up when we're walking to Har Habayas. Could you imagine that? All our enemies, they're all going to stand up for us. And Hashem is going to be looking at us like we're the only nation in the world and we're going to be looking at God as the only one in the world Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad and then we're going to walk under that chuppah at the base Hamigdash and Hashem is going to say Hare At Mekudeshes Li to Klai Yisrael all of you girls and all of you boys and everything you went through for 2,000 years Mekudeshes Li you need to know one thing you're all holy to me and the world will say Mikudeshes they are holy and Hashem will take us into his house which is the base of Megdash 
just get off your bed take a step towards him and you will be part of that march you will be Zeicha to see that look whatever that means in God's eyes when he looks at you and he looks at us as a nation that we're the only thing in the world that counts wow the crazy not normal moment of the world it never happened before and you can be part of it and all he says is get off your bed come to the door just open the door I'll do the rest and it's so true and everything that I changed my life I hardly had to do anything I just had to open just open the door for him he'll do the rest before I give a shear I ask Hashem to put in my mouth the words that need to come out I don't want to give this year. I just opened the door. I want to be your mouthpiece, Hashem. I gave a shir last night. I didn't read one of my notes. I had this whole shir prepared. I gave a shir to the whole America with what Irgun Shire, whatever it was. And I was like, I came home and I told my, my wife said, "How was it?" I'm like, I don't know. It wasn't my shir. Here's my notes. I said this story with the sword didn't say. The story with the lawyer didn't say. My whole list of stories. I'm a storyteller. Not one story. I'm like, I don't know. They were looking for stories. I, it wasn't me. And I walked in there. I got my bracha from my wife before the share. I said, Kosh Baruch Hu, I know what I want to say. I got my papers. But you know what they need to hear. Just put it in my mouth. And I even tried a few times to get to my story. I wanted to change channels. Because I really thought if I could tell the sword story, everyone's going to be talking about it. Because it's a crazy story. And he wouldn't let me tell the story. I, every time I try to get to that story, I forgot that I tried to get to that story. And I went off on a tangent. He just want, just open the door. That's all. You don't have to do much work. Just open the door. Get off your bed. He'll take care of the rest. We should all be Zaycha Mitz Hashem to be on that march. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.